Welcome to this episode of the Mother's Heroes Show. Today, I'm here with Olivier Corradi. Um, it's not to be mistaken with Karadi, so <laughs> we had that figured out. He's a very interesting character. We've been in contact uh, for quite a while now, and I'm very happy that he was able to hop on a call. Today, um, we talk about his endeavors in um, where data science meets climate change. We are all aware about what the IPCC reports are saying. We are all aware of how um, tremendous of a problem we are facing. But Olivier is really someone who said, actually, he has decided he wants to do something and he wants to do something practical. This is why I'm now talking to the founder of North Electricity Map, which is like the biggest real-time map where you can see electric uh, consumption in Europe and I guess around the world even. And um, he's also now working on a corporate solution showing companies how they can save CO2 or make it more visible. So I'm very happy to have you here. Hi, Olivier. Hello, and thank you for having me. So um, people are always searching for some kind of solutions, right? Like it's, it's very hard to grasp this problem of climate change. Could you maybe give us a brief introduction of how you decided to, do, to become an entrepreneur who's active in the climate change space? Because it's also one of those areas you don't necessarily um, see a for-profit model there, right? Yes. So yes. when did you decide to become an entrepreneur in this area? And what was your journey to becoming? To yeah. So I, I didn't actively decide. Uh, I think I, I just stumbled a bit on it. So, so during my graduate studies, I was actually studying uh, applied statistics and worked on the integration of renewable energy into the Danish electricity grid. So there's so much wind power in Denmark that basically the volatility of it, the fact that suddenly from one hour to the other, you can have a, a surge in the system where it starts producing more wind energy requires prediction, predictability of those things, and it requires taking into consideration the consequence of that and how you equilibrate the system and how you manage it mm. in real time. Um, and so I ended up doing a bunch of research on those topics. Uh, we looked at, for example, how you can set up a society where you had variable pricing of electricity. And mm. if you came up with the uh, perfect price, then consumers would react to that. You could have heating systems, for example, that preheat or that stop heating at the times where uh, the wind turbines are not producing. And therefore, you can help stabilize the system uh, over time. So that's something I, I worked on and um, I didn't necessarily see the climate change in that. A couple of years later, after I had graduated and had found my way through bigger corporations, I wanted to get back to that topic and I wanted to specifically look at climate change. So I, I basically left, I uh, was working at the French startup that I spent uh, two years at uh, before. And I started basically looking at all the IPCC reports as a data scientist would look at them and be like, okay, let me look at the numbers. Um, how, how, you know, how fucked are we, mm -hmm. so to speak? Mm -hmm. How bad is it? Um, and, and trying to look at it from really from this very, very broad perspective. And, and you start finding a couple of things that are super worrying. You look, for example, at CO2. CO2, you know, chemically speaking, is a very inert molecule. 
So that means that it stays up in the atmosphere, uh, you know, between centuries and millennia, basically. So if we were to stop emitting carbon right now, we would still, you know, it would take it would take more than millennials to get to the same level, the pre-industrial level, basically, yeah. Yeah. in terms of atmospheric concentration. Um, the second thing I discovered is really how we don't realize how much our world is reliant on fossil fuels. Uh, like 80% of the world's energy comes from fossil fuels. It's been the same thing in the last 30 to 40 years. It hasn't changed at all, this mix. And so I was just wondering at that time, wait, I mean, I've been working on all those wind stuff. Um, everyone is speaking about it. How, how come it's like nothing in the, in the total pool of, of energy mix? Um, and so this was in, in, in 2016. That was four years mm -hmm. ago when I did mm -hmm. this. Um, and, and then when I looked at the magnitude of the problem, the consequences climate change would have and how, how big the numbers were if we were to, you know, start replacing fossil fuels with something else. Basically thought, okay, the only scalable way this is going to work is if we can put enough information out there to make sure that everyone can make better decisions. Yeah. Like the incentives are wrong, basically. So you need to fix the incentive mechanisms. And if you want to fix the incentive mechanisms, you need to make sure the data is freely available on this, on this particular topic. But who um, do you mean? Who, uh, politicians or uh, private uh, households? Who, who do you mean needs the data? So it actually, so in terms of, in, so first are the incentives. The incentives work at honestly every link of the chain. Like there's no way that I personally will change my behavior if in the end I'm not properly incentivized to do so, whether it's, yes. a, you know, a, a change of culture, mentality, social norms, or whether it's a financial incentive. And if you go into the financial incentive, you're thinking, okay, it's governments that need to change and put the, change the rules of the game. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing with the um, with private corporations. But if depending on who you talk to, they will basically all tell you, um, "Hey, this is a super important issue. I just don't know exactly how to do this. I don't know what I should be doing." So if you talk to consumers, they will tell you, "Yes, I would love to do it, but it's too cumbersome to understand it. Is it better to eat organic? Is it better to stop flying? Uh, but wait, flights are only like one or two percent of global emissions." On the other hand, they're like my biggest part of the footprint. How to think about these things is super complicated. It's overwhelming, isn't it? Mm. Absolutely. And so, and so instead of, so basically I realized very quickly that I think the solution isn't technological. It's not mm. like building, um, you know, at scale geoengineering or build, building uh, carbon sequestration at scale, planting enough trees at scale. I thought there's no silver bullet in this thing. Like we have to reinvent 80% of the way we're living. So if, if fossil fuels, you know, if 80% of our energy is fossil fuels, and if you think about what energy means, energy is just our ability to change the environment. It's our ability mm -hmm. to heat things up, to cool things mm -hmm. down, to change shape, to build things and so on. So basically that's, that's basically doing stuff. <laughs> mm -hmm. So if you need to reinvent 80% of the way we're doing stuff, doing stuff yeah. that just means you're reinventing society in a sense, right? Mm -hmm. So how do you do this? Well, the only, and, and if there's not a silver bullet, like we're not getting, you know, any, uh, any fission, uh, so we have fission, but you're not getting, get any, any fusion technology in a foreseeable future. We have to make do with the rest of it. Okay, so what do we do? And in the end, what you want to do is make sure that any investment anywhere is optimized to give you know the biggest bang for the buck highest CO2 reduction per dollar spent 
And this mm -hmm. at a societal level requires you to put the right incentives into place. And the first thing is to get some data out to make sure that policymakers understand what is right um, and that individuals also understand how, to, how they can get involved. And very concretely speaking, this is what led me to build the first version of Electricity Map. Very simply, it was, okay, I, I've heard so much about wind, but how far are we to get to a proper energy transition that gets us you know, to 100% wind or 100% renewable? So I, just as a good data scientist, I thought, okay, I'm just going to download some data. I'm going to visualize it on the map. I'm going to compute a couple of carbon models on it. Um, and then because those things vary so much in real time based on the weather, mm -hmm. I figured, well, this might be interesting to actually show to people. And that's a, just a story that wasn't that much told before, I guess, the part where its emittency can be explored in such um, you know, an interactive way that in Denmark, when the wind is blowing, suddenly Denmark is green. And when it's not, uh, of course, it becomes browner. So I think that this laid the foundation for tomorrow with the electricity map being the first initiative and tomorrow being a way of, of putting this standard data-driven, uh, you know, data layer on our operating system, if you will, to make sure that humanity can take the best decisions in the future based on that. And then we can start building all those incentive systems based on it. Okay, so it's, uh, it's your way of, or you started in a, in a very practical way of understanding it for yourself and then taking this understanding a step further because you are a data scientist, you were thinking actually the data is out there, but nobody is actually creating a story from it because that's, that's what a data scientist is doing, right? Like finding some kinds of insights out of data. And from there, it became bigger and bigger. So uh, you started to probably apply more and more data and found more and more APIs so that electricity, electricity map could become bigger. It's, it's super interesting because when I started my, um, my research, and I guess many of our listeners have done that because you can't just be against something if you don't know it, right? Uh, yeah. it's, it's sort of this, what Einstein was saying in in order to solve a problem and you have one hour for it, try to understand it for the first 50 minutes. And um, so I, I would say understanding the problem is the first step. So you, this is what you did. And um, during my own research, I came across your product because I was looking for something that actually helped me to make it more visual as a problem. Right. And, and your, um, your, product or service shows the electricity consumption and also the split, if I'm not mistaken, right? Like Germany, right. how much coal and how much uh, uh, renewable is it? Yes, yes. And do you, yes. Have, do, do you have any, any kind of um, insight if it caused an impact? Did politicians approach you or was there some kind of you becoming a a consultant for uh, 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 deciders? Was there something like that going on? Yes, I think that the impact happened on, on two level, two levels. Um, the first one is sort of on a, on a in, the, in the academic world. Uh, mm -hmm. We saw that there's a lot of people that started using the product in order to teach with it. So, you know, whether it's from the high school level or if it's at university level, we basically have professors telling us, you know what, I'm actually using um, 
your product with my students and it gives that gives them some insights so it was of course you know uh, incredibly humbling and, and exciting for us to know that, that the product was starting to get used out there mm-hmm. um, the second piece of impact we had is, is really related to the, the vision that enabled the electricity map to exist which is that if you really want to have you know a transition to a world based on its emittent resources then you need to make sure that every device in the world that is connected to internet uses electricity at the time where the weather permits it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we started engaging with various companies and then we found out that there's a big hurdle for having companies count electricity at an hourly level. Specifically, mm-hmm. the reg- there's a regulation into place basically that says, I mean, I, I probably everyone has heard about those 100% renewable energy claims, right? Um, you have those large corporations that are saying now we are 100% renewable. Um, how did they actually achieve it? Do they put you know batteries in the basement and are storing the electricity from the solar uh, panels and so on? Well, not necessarily. What happens is that you are you can claim yourself 100% renewable if you just make sure to um, buy renewable energy certificates uh, at an amount that is higher than whatever you're consuming on a, on a yearly basis. So that removes the, the real-time incentives. So the accounting is not done hour by hour. It's done on aggregate during a year. So it's kind mm-hmm. of a cheap trick to make you become renewable. But then we figured, okay, with Electricity Map, if we really want to you know, optimize for the physics out there, I mean, the emissions still happen, even though someone is saying 100% renewable, they can still be using diesel, basically, yes. um, which is a big problem. Um, and so... so Electricity map tried to push into that direction. And so in that regard, we had to engage with policymakers. We had to engage at various higher levels to make it obvious that things vary on an hourly basis. And the second piece is we started finding some actors, uh, private actors that are interested in having this, what do we call 24 seven approach mm-hmm. of counting electricity on an hourly level. One of them is Google, with whom we announced a partnership in the beginning of the year. And so they are actually utilizing the flexibility in their data centers to shift the amount of electricity they use based on the computations they run Mm -hmm. at the times where the electricity is the cleanest. So what they would do, for example, is they say, okay, we have this AI algorithm to run during the night. It has to train every night. So what will happen is that they will shift it to the times where electricity tells, look, this is when the wind is blowing or when the electricity is gonna be low carbon, this is the best time to ship the computation to. And so in terms of impact, it's actually a pretty big impact in terms of carbon saved uh, worldwide, of course. Um, so in a, in a practical sense, the heavy duty work has to be done when the renewable energy is the most available, so to speak. Yes. And so it's okay. not only renewables, because if you start going into the details, what we're optimized for, so if, if you look at climate change, what you care about is tree, greenhouse gases. Yes. And in energy, greenhouse gases basically boil down to CO2. Um, but basically, renewables are not necessarily the only way to get to low carbon electricity, right? I mean, nuclear is mm-hmm. one of the solutions. You have hydro, you have hydro sometimes is counted as renewable, sometimes it's not, uh, depending on how you look at it exactly. Geothermal. I mean, you have many other sources. And so the way we look at it is, is low carbon energy. Um, that's the thing you want to focus on. 
that goes into the direction that the internet and, and also, also our informational technology um, age is, is actually responsible for a lot of carbon. Right? Like our, uh, our backbone, our technology backbone of society is one of the major contributors to climate change, isn't it? So I wouldn't actually say it's the major one. I think that's the service of, of a misunderstanding in the sense that um, if, you take, if you take all the emissions from data centers worldwide, mm -hmm. you are still at orders of magnitudes that are close to uh, you know, aviation, uh, for example, worldwide. And it's, it's not to say it's not a lot. It's just to say that actually you know, um, the whole food the, the food chain, for example, it, it is much bigger. The amount of electricity we actually generate and that we use for things that are other than the internet are higher. If you just take all the coal power plants in the world, I think it's like 20% of global emissions, just the coal power plants. And those coal power mm. plants are not powering, uh, you know, uh, the, the data centers exclusively. They're powering, I mean, the light in our homes and, mm. and the heavy industry. Um, and if you look at the whole fossil fuel usage, I mean, oil is used in those heavy manufacturing processes as well as used in transportation. And that's not at all tied to data centers, right? Data centers would be electrified. So I think we, we have a bit of a misconception sometimes about uh, the, the, the data center part. It's something that, you know, throughout the ages, it's come on top of the rest. It's not something that suddenly took over the, the larger part of the emissions. Ah, interesting. Because the, the emissions exploded around the 19 or 1870s, right? Like when the industrial revolution began. Absolutely. And then yeah. from there, uh, like there, there were no uh, data centers back then, right? <laughs> exactly. I mean, if you look at the, you know, it's basically invention of the, the, the steam engine. Mm -hmm. um, you would power it in the beginning with coal, then, you know, later with, with oil. I mean, in, in whole beginning, it was also, I mean, whole beginning. So in the first days, basically you had, you had wood, right? That you used in order to power those engines. Mm -hmm. And then started creating the industry. Um, and then afterwards, you start being able to build transportation and the whole logistics platform on top of it. And then you had aviation as well on top. And so those added just successful layers. And the digital layer is really just the last layer we've added on top of it. But we still have all those previous layers that are absolutely massive. That's true. I would like to, to delve deeper into like what you learned from there after the, the whole electricity or it's, it's still a constant of your company, right? It's, um, Absolutely. Yeah. And, but what I would like to know is where does your interest come from? Like where does your personal interest come from? As a data scientist, you could just be um, earning a lot of cash, right? Even as an employee, but you decided to become an entrepreneur and entrepreneurship sometimes is a struggle. Some people can resonate, others not. <laughs> but <laughs> why do you commit to this way? What, what was your trigger? What was your personal trigger that you are interested in this topic? For, for me, it was the combination of an opportunity and a challenge. So the challenge mm. of climate change is so big uh, that when I looked at the numbers, I was like, okay, this is, this is the thing that makes sense to dedicate my life on. Um, and the other piece was I knew that working on this would be extremely exciting. I mean, from an opportunity perspective, um, well, first of all, when you get faced with the negativity of the ch challenge, you mm -hmm. know, it, it, it paralyzes you. And so being able to work on the solution is extremely empowering um, compared to just being fed with those negative news. 
And so the piece about the opportunity side as well is that the challenge is so big that you know you can work on this and no matter how you exactly you approach it, you know it's going to be valuable somehow in the future. So this is why I'm saying I didn't you know, make an active decision to become an entrepreneur in this area. It just sort of felt natural. And the amount of things that climate change touches upon um, enables you to understand so much of the world and see it into a new perspective. There's no area that climate change doesn't affect or isn't affected by. It's an integrated part of everything that we do in a sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Therefore, I couldn't see another way. You know, it was just inevitable, so to speak. So you, you were, it was like you searching for an opportunity and then sort of climate change finding you, so to speak, or it's, it's just the, because it's, it's all over the news, right? And it's all over, especially when you are um, embracing yourself with activists and, and, and how they are uh, perceiving that whole problem or what we have seen recently in the, in the news with uh, San Francisco. Yeah. Um, being uh, impacted by all the wildfires. Um, so you want to work, contribute to this um, bigger than life, seemingly uh, uh, um, challenge that we face as society. Yeah, absolutely. I think the, the thing that really you know, motivates me is that given the size of the challenge and the aggressive timelines that we have, Yeah. I believe there's an opportunity in finding scalable solutions to climate change, which are not related to hard technologies. So basically mm -hmm. figuring out a new way to you know, do better batteries or to manufacture carbon-free energy. I think we have to make do with what we have. However, if you look at the exponential aspect of, of, of you know, how Google, Gmail, uh, Search, uh, Facebook, and all those other digital companies have grown, I think there's an angle to it where you can have a very scalable reach and educational aspect of things that touches the whole world very quickly mm -hmm. um, without the pitfalls that those business models would have, you know, such as advertising and so on. And I think this is where it, it, it really became a challenge for us in this company is to how do we align business model ethics and impact together? And this is also why since the beginning we said, you know, where privacy is super important, we're not going to take people's data, we're not going to sell it or anything. Um, same with advertisement model, we say, okay, this is, this is, you know, basically it's everything that's wrong with the world. It's, it's basically big advertisers trying to push you to consume more and not think about the negative externalities that are happening there. Mm. Um, and on the other hand, like climate change is causing so much, you know, financial damage that there must be a way to basically tap into this pool of money um, to reduce the impact and therefore reduce cost for society. But this is where the, the, the challenge becomes big. Do you have the feeling that it is becoming an, an industry to do something against climate change? And if so, um, who are the, the players or what kind of rules and regulations are playing into your, uh, into your hands? So we've definitely seen that in the last two to three years, things have changed radically. Um, Greta Thunberg as well have, have you know, created a lot of awareness around the topic. Companies have increased in turn their pledges in order to be you know, perceived as, as more favorable by the public, mm -hmm. which in turn has fueled basically the offsetting business. 
um, there's a lot of new companies that are starting up and saying, okay, we're planting trees, we're, we're doing some other things. And I'd say this is where most of the money currently is going. Um, we can talk about the position of offsetting in, 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 this whole, in this whole world, but I believe there's a lack of incentives for taking real action. Mm -hmm. And the first step to take real action is to have accurate measurements. Not, you know, incredibly, not, not infinitely precise measurement, but measurement to a level um, that makes, you know, uh, sense. And for example, what I just mentioned with electricity saying, companies won't care about having an hourly measure of their electricity usage and the electricity emissions associated um, because they can just, you know, offset the whole year. For me, this is absolutely crazy because this is where you can really start taking meaningful action. You can save 20% of emissions just by shifting your consumption at the right time, for example. So if you're not looking at this at a level of precision that's good enough, um, basically you start to have problems. So what you are saying is this whole realm of efficiency is what you have been supporting uh, with electricity map. So you want to make the usage of what we have more efficient. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You could say in a sense, that's the cheapest, you know, it's the cheapest, uh, it's the first option you have. That's the cheapest yeah. one you have is just to yeah. say, okay, we have some assets, just not reinvest in new ones. Let's just do things smarter. I think that's the, that's the first step on electricity map. But in the larger scheme of things, what we're really trying to do is to establish a pragmatic baseline for how you should count things. Because right now, surprisingly enough, there's no standard that is, let's say, constraining enough to start to make sure that companies start looking at those things, put some target, put some goals that actually make sense from a physical perspective, you know, that have a real impact in the world. Um, you mean in terms of regulations? Or absolutely. In, ah, absolutely. Okay. So you have things like the, the greenhouse gas protocol, for example, mm -hmm. that tells you how you should um, count emissions. Mm -hmm. but for example, in this, in the greenhouse gas protocol, you still have the fuzziness on how you should count for electricity. It doesn't say that you should look at, for example, how the electricity is produced locally and how much is imported from the neighbors. You could use a global average for all that I care. That's, that's allowed in a sense, right? And the same, you don't even need to look at it from an hourly level as well. Um, it's certainly recommended, but it's not a standard. You don't get a stamp of approval that says, you know, this is the baseline that enables me to compare it to other companies and to start saying this one is actually taking initiative, this other one is not. And in a world where greenwashing is taking more and more precedence, you need you know, this strong baseline before you can move to the next level that says, now I'm doing assessment and now I'm taking action. You are actively participating in this movement. This is why you're probably also aware that it's, or you just mentioned that it, it can't just be entrepreneurship. It can't just be the public. It uh, also needs the government. It needs uh, uh, businesses, corporations. What is happening at the moment that is um, from a regulation standpoint, because we have CSR reports, right? And they get more and more strict or uh, um, standardized. I, at least I have the feeling uh, uh, talking to some people. Um, but what is there? Um, is that that you say measurement is still lacking behind, right? And measurement seems to be one of the things that you're focused on. But how can politics actually help? And are you in contact with politicians um, as someone who's coming from the company business space? 
Yeah, yeah. So, so we are navigating in a weird triangle where on one side, you know, we have citizens. On the other side, we have yeah. private companies. And on the third side, you have um, politics, in general, politicians, right? Yeah. So on the, on the policy level, what we're trying to push for is to make sure we have a proper carbon tax because that puts the right incentives to everyone. Mm-hmm. Where the devil is, the devil's in the details, and it becomes complicated about how you actually want to implement this carbon tax. What do you measure and how do you measure this? So, so you see, I mean, there's, there's one issue which is here. On the, on the private side, you have companies starting to do you know, more and more CSR reports. But if you go to smaller companies, it is still incredibly complicated for them to do any kind of assessment of their sustainability strategy or their carbon strategy. And it become, it's complicated because, you know, one, they don't have the skills to do so. If you take a small company with like 20 people, it, it's a lot to ask to, you know, dedicate one person who's going to spend all of their time figuring out how, what, what the vocabulary, what the rules are in that space, mm. um, and then start acquiring the data inside from the company and make sure the calculations are done correctly. So this is also where we're trying to step in and create a framework and a product, a SaaS product that automatically does those things for, for smaller companies. Um, and then on the consumer side of things, that's where you're basically prone to marketing stunts uh, where, you know, corporates would say, well, now we're, I don't know, we've, there's, there's so many examples that come, stupid examples that come to mind, but you have companies that said, now your food is, you know, to, um, is, is 50% greener because they've made the packaging carbon neutral, for example. Mm. Uh, but they're packaging still red meat, for example, beef. And you're like, yeah. wait, that's not. Yeah. So that completely confuses um, citizens. Totally. So in this in this triangle, um, you basically we're trying to play in the middle by creating sort of this measurement standard that enables anyone to agree on things. And unfortunately, um, you, the, the governments right now worldwide are not stepping up to take that kind of role. I mean, we're we shouldn't be doing this, right? We shouldn't be setting up the standards. We should be building the tools, for example. Yes. We kind of like have to build the tools and the standard at the same time, because it's not really there. The standard, the tools are needed. Is the demand available? Like those small companies, do they want to change? So you have, you have different companies. You have those that you know, really care about the bottom line, don't, don't have time to focus on climate change. They're already struggling with COVID and other things. You know, they, that's not on their price. Absolutely. Mm. But then you have other companies that, that know that the world of the future is going to look different. Uh, you know, COVID showed us one thing, which is that resilience is important. You have mm-hmm. this black swan that comes in and, uh, as the virus is and disrupts everything. So you need to be ready for, you know, compliant for the future. And your exposure to fossil fuels in general is a risk that any company should take into account. And therefore, it's important to, to care about climate change. And the other aspect is, if you want to be um, hiring the best people, you need to showcase that you are in the front runners of this movement because people want to join the guys that are thinking about the future mm-hmm. and are the ones wrecking the world. Uh, mm-hmm. So those, I'd say, are, are the two sort of piles of, of companies that we see out there. But we see more and more of the companies um, taking a very, very serious interest in this. And sometimes it shocks me to see companies that wouldn't necessarily have an incentive in doing so, a direct financial incentive in doing so, and they do it even though you know the government's not necessarily pushing the right regulations. 
So these are the early adopters, so to speak, right? The, the, the early movers. Um, so, so you want to target small uh, and medium enterprises, so to speak. And, and you think that there's some kind of leverage? Yes, I think what we're trying to do is really to mm, democratize climate action, to make sure you know, that, mm. that any company that wants to um, understand how well they're doing wants to do, is able to do this. And in a sense, it's not only the early adopters. It, it seems like almost you're, we're, we're moving a bit past that because there's a, there's a lot of companies we're talking to that say that they don't really know if they want to take action. They're just they're curious. They want to know where they stand. And that's already the first step, right? And that's not the early adopters. Those are sort of almost later. Um, mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. the companies we're targeting are the ones where we can very simply um, calculate a meaningful carbon footprint. And so those would be companies where, that are highly digitized, where the footprint is basically the footprint of the employees, you know, travels, um, commutes. You typically have an office. That mm. office is heated with a certain system. There's some electricity usage. Um, and then the last piece is those digitized companies also have some cloud usage um, that indirectly uses electricity. And by covering those three verticals, you, re you then have already a pretty decent understanding of the footprint of that company. And you're also able to give meaningful insights in order to figure out, you know, what's the 80-20 here? How, how can we slash half of our emissions um, using just a little bit of change of behavior? Interesting. Is it mainly digital businesses or would you also work with like a, a pipe company or something like that? So the tricky part, as soon as you move away from digitized service companies, I think services is actually the, the better way of distinguishing them, mm -hmm. is that they start having a value chain. And if, as soon as you have a value chain, someone manufacturing something or buying heavy stuff and installing it, then you need to go up the whole value chain in order to understand what the footprint is. And that is something that is harder to automate. It becomes mm -hmm. more specific depending on which company you're talking to. Um, and that is certainly somewhere we want to go, but we're just not starting there. I initially, um, before we started the interview, I asked you via email about the master plan, right? And, yeah. and the more uh, you're probably familiar with like Tesla's uh, Elon Musk master plan, that probably, uh, inspired a lot of us uh, and but the more and more you also talk about the the corporate solution that uh, you you're working on I I see a picture of how north also was playing a role and maybe is is maybe you're using the data you collected with north but uh, without me assuming could you maybe give us an, an insight of like what is your master plan? How do you yeah. want to have an impact over the next, let's say, three to five years? Or maybe you're even thinking more long-term, but how, how does it fit in? Where do you see the impact? Yeah, so the, the reason why the company is actually named Tomorrow is that we want, we want to build the world of tomorrow and enable us to get there faster. What does the world of tomorrow look like? It's a world where all those negative uh, externalities so all the carbon that we emit is probably properly sorry accounted for mm -hmm. and has a price such that the right incentive mechanisms are put into place that requires a carbon tax so if you backtrack from there what you need is to make sure that it becomes a commodity for everyone whether you know it's a citizen or it's a company or it's in or a government 
to understand how much carbon is used by anything that I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And if you want to get there, this is where um, we have various products, various initiatives to get there. Electricity Map is really going deep into electricity and saying, we want to understand this thing perfectly. Um, North uh, is our consumer app um, that helps citizens understand what is my personal carbon footprint. And then Bloom, the last product that we're working on right now, is the corporate solution that enables companies to understand what their carbon footprint is. And by pushing those initiatives you know, on, the, on the same level, this is how we can get as fast as possible to the world of tomorrow where all those externalities are pro properly quantified. And it's always hard to say, you know, what will come first? Will the carbon tax come first and then the incentives will be put into place to make sure that the software is used by all companies? Or will it be the other way around that all companies are using it and therefore they will push the governments to actually put a carbon tax because they will say, well, you know, we already have shifting our behavior. Now we want to mm -hmm. get paid for it, basically. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Or is it citizens that will sort of, you know, go in the streets and, 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 and ask the governments to do things differently? And that, that's hard to say, but we know that we have to play in this triangle and push for things as much as possible. So I think the, the red thread that we're keeping always is to make sure that we can make this information as easily accessible to anyone, right? Whether it's from a tech perspective, so automating it using AI, so you don't have to spend too much time gathering the data. But the other piece is also the design piece. I mean, no one understands what a kilogram of carbon is. So yes. therefore you have to make sure that you're talking about those insights in some way that is much, much simpler than a number that no one can relate to. This is, this is also like on the one side, it's a, it's a beautiful vision of yours. And, um, and I think it's, it's highly important because it's like such an in, intransparent topic, right? And it's just by design, right? The, the threat is uh, invisible and uh, it's causing damage. Uh, like mo most of the CO2 is, is, uh, is the biggest carbon sink are the oceans and they have all kinds of problems uh, related to that. Um, but just like making this threat visible and, and, and giving people some kind of enabling data, I think that's, that's great. But then when we think about this triangle that you talked about, let's, let's speak about the citizen because you just mentioned a kilogram of CO2 is so, uh, so abstract, right? Yeah. Nobody knows yeah. what the hell it means even. Um, and, and like when I was flying uh, the last time uh, to, to New York, um, I was like, what? That's how much CO2 was emitted? That's crazy. But we don't have a connection to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What I liked about North, and I told you about that, was that I had some kind of visual backing of like how much is it act actually. How, how far do you see the consumer playing a role in that? And maybe give us an idea of, what North was supposed to be or yeah. uh, went on becoming and, and what is missing? Why aren't consumers really buying into that? Yeah, that's, a, that's a complex question. I'll try to answer uh, to the best of my knowledge. But so first thing to say maybe to everyone who, who might not be aware of it is, is that we're closing uh, down North uh, by the end of the year. Uh, to refocus basically our efforts mainly on the corporate solution, even though we, we are going to have other initiatives on the, on the consumer side uh, at a later stage. I think what has been 
so the, you're talking about the role of the consumer in all of this. Um, I think the role of the consumer sort of on a higher level is, is twofold. One is you vote with your money, right? So depending on which choices, consumer choices you're making, you're basically telling the capitalistic system, please produce more of the good things and less of the bad stuff. Mm. Um, the second piece is political engagement. I think this is absolutely by far the, the most important thing you can do as a citizen is support your your, um, your political entities in order to make sure that we get to this carbon tax as quickly as possible. Now, in those two questions, the, the, the problem, the, the real question is, is it the app, an app that tracks your personal carbon footprint? Is that the missing link in the chain? Mm. And I think to some extent we believed, or I personally believed it was. Um, and I specifically believe that the entry barrier was so high on computing your own carbon footprint because you need to get so much data. I mean, I, I did it manually and it took me like half, half a day where I had to enter all the flights that I took and it was horrible. And, and then I got some insights that weren't even that meaningful because it was based on some average questionnaires. And, and I felt like, wait, if I could get something that's, you know, way more granular, you could start gamifying it, changing behaviors and so on. But as, as every, you know, uh, I'd say first-time founder would tell you, uh, don't, don't build the things first, uh, really explore with the initial users, understand your market segmentation, understand who the people you want to target are. And I think the typical, you know, data scientists, data nerds, audiences, of course, extremely interested to know those things. But take the general, the general public, I don't know how many actually want to automate this data acquisition, wants to look at this data and wants to change behavior. I think mm. given, given the bombardment we have of social media, news feeds and so on, uh, you're, you're fighting against some very, very powerful um, in, in incentives, I'd say psychological incentives in the sense that when you're using Instagram, you know, you're, you're talking about your place in the world, which is extremely important. Um, putting that up against uh, how you want to react compared to the footprint you're having and so on is, is, is a difficult, is a difficult play here. Yes. Um, yes. I think that that was what was challenging with North. And I think on the consumer side, there are some, quick wins you can do in terms of fact-checking, doing some education uh, on, the, on the broader strokes. But I think going into sort of quantified self and make sure everyone has an app, I think that that's, I don't believe we'll be in a world where everyone tracks all of their carbon. I think the success is if we have enough people that care about it to engage politically, to make sure we get the right intensive mechanisms put into place, the carbon tax, and then the rest follows because it's just a simpler way, i.e. the more expensive products are the worse and the cheaper products are the better. So you would say rather rely on the, the natural rules of the market uh, and, and having the regulations of politicians playing their way into pricing and so on, rather than changing behavior of people by driving awareness. So I think both are very complementary depending on mm -hmm. which percentile of the population you're talking about. I think it's, you know, basically we have the, we have the politicians we deserve. So if mm -hmm. you wait on politicians, nothing is going to happen. So you need, you know, enough people to push through, uh, change behavior, care, such that you can change a bit the system. But I think on the other hand, it's also, you know, uh, 
I think it's wishful thinking to think that the last 70% of the population are going to change behavior because you are nudging them to do it in, in some non-financial way. I think in the end, this is why we have governments. This is why we need regulation is to fix the rules of the game to make sure the market pushes us in that direction. I can imagine that this was actually a quite hurtful uh, realization of yours that you're now talking so casually about, <laughs> wasn't it? <laughs> yes, yes. I think we got some uh, pretty heavy blows as soon as we started, you know, really uh, putting the apps in the hands of people. I mean, we were in beta for, for, for a very long time and I think that got us some insights. Um, but I think it's also an opportunity cost. Honestly, we had tremendous response from the app. You know, the visual side was amazing. The fact that you can play around with the bubbles. Um, I, I got those aha moments when I could see, you know, my, my monthly budget and yeah. visualize that in, in comparison with, for example, a flight that I'm taking. That's just mind blowing, you know, how clearly the reference points become in your mind. I mean, I yes. now very clearly remember what the budget of you know 400 kilo per month is and what this relates to in terms of a flight this is something that is ingrained and that is a success in a sense but for us there is an opportunity cost in in focusing on that compared to focusing on other things and there are many other actors in the market that are doing great things there that we don't see that that's the best use of our time so i think that's maybe a more um you say so yeah, a bit bit more relaxed way of looking at, at it's not a failure it's more saying we're decide to reuse their energy somewhere else. It's strategic. Yeah, totally, totally understand it. Uh, the, the, the more uh, you learn on the market, right? The, the, the more you find your place and, and find the solution or the, the problem you can build a solution for, so to speak, and, and have a, tro a strong product market fit. Totally see that. Um, let's go to to the end of, of the interview. I, I really appreciated you. You have uh, given us a lot of great insights also into your world and how you perceive things and how this, this triangle is a great metaphor just to, and also seeing it holistically, right? Like this, this systemic view of, uh, of things. That's, um, that's a great perspective, I, I believe. What is your greatest inspiration at the moment? And what do you aspire to get to? Is there some kind of company or uh, initiative? Is it Fridays for Future? Is it Tesla or is it something completely different? I think it's a little bit of many different aspects, to be honest. Um, back when I started Tomorrow, I really thought that there was an opportunity to become the Google of sustainability. And mm. Google has sort of morphed into something completely different that I don't necessarily completely um, you know, agree with. But so I spent a little bit of time, I was working at Google um, in, in, when was it, 2011, 2012. Mm -hmm. um, and at that time, the company is pretty impressive because it's, it's keeping this open innovation and trying to solve big problems at the same time in a scalable way, which I believe is exactly the right kind of thinking you need if you want to go into climate change compared to, a, you know, to an NGO that might be a little bit more incremental in that mm -hmm. view. And nothing to, I mean, I think we need NGOs just to say that this is where I think we could bring something unique. So in that sense, it has become an inspiration. Also the fact that Google's mission statement is to organize the world's information and make it widely accessible. And for me, that resonates a lot with what we're trying to do as well. You know, we're trying to organize the world's carbon information and make, make it widely accessible. 
and accessible is, is very important. It means getting away from numbers and getting to the actual understanding that's behind the number, right? When we talked about the budget, all those things are, are, give, are interesting reference points. Totally, yeah. Now the problem is um, the, the, you know, this sort of the financial incentives that Google has managed to put into place and, and the whole tech industry for that matter is not to pick on Google by itself. Um, is, is basically the advertisement model. And that's a problem because it just pushes us to one, consume more, and it's basically nudging us into changing our behaviors. Basically, the, the advertiser with the biggest uh, you know, uh, pot of money will be able to push the industry or politics in a certain direction by starting to target certain groups and giving targeted messages that create echo chambers and all those problems that we see, um, which is, of course, what we don't wanna push forward to, right? Hmm. So I think there's sort of a, a model that's, that's a little bit between, I draw a lot of inspiration from Wikipedia, for example, the open source model and how they've been able to push a consensus on information. That's fascinating how they did this. There's no way we're building True. the world of tomorrow if we don't get a consensus on how to view the world. Like what is, we need a consensus on the truth. And this is something that the tech industry is basically pushing completely away from with everyone having their own version of the truth that's a big problem. So if you take a little bit of the, you know, the open source model that we also are firm believers in, mm -hmm. I think the innovative power and the scalable power of Google, and then the purpose, the, the strength of the purpose that is behind the Fridays for Future movement, I think this is a little bit the space we're trying to be in, but, but we don't have a, you know, a set example that we're following, the sort of many different aspects that we try to get inspired from. I like that. I like that. That was... Uh... A good way to put it, um, especially this, uh, the thought behind the open source model. And uh, it's sort of, I, I always get reminded with like DDR socialism versus capitalism, right? Like uh, socialism just had no chance in terms of innovation power. And, and maybe we need some kind of new revolution, uh, revolutionary thinking from capitalism to something else, which is more eco-friendly, so to speak. Um, and, and this certainly plays into that realm. Um, when you think about where you are at the moment and the next level that you want to reach, what is missing at the moment? What, what are you searching for? Maybe also in terms of our listening base, we also have some people active, uh, like um, actively as entrepreneurs or as investors or as uh, politicians, people working in sustainability agencies, what is something where you say, this is what we need? Because at the end, we are all playing in the same realm, right? We, we all want to have this positive impact. Um, so maybe there's just something that is missing. And, uh, and if you implement it, then it's running much faster, right? Sometimes it's like that. So what is it in, in your terms? Yeah, it's a, I'm going to disappoint you by saying it's time. To, we're, we're literally running out of time. I think the, time, yeah. the, the, so the biggest, our biggest milestone that we can sort of really project into is, is a time where we have um, Bloom, so the carbon, uh, the, the climate action um, software solution that we're building right now for companies. We want that to reach a meaningful scale in order to get to the next level of impact, right? Yes. Um, I mean, we're talking tens of thousands of businesses. That would be like a, a really good milestone. And in order to get there, the thing is, you know, you could ask for funding. Um, 
but money doesn't solve your problem because what you need in the end is to build the right product for the right people and to make sure that it's efficiently working. And to yes. do this, you need smart people. And if you've got too many smart people, you start spending time uh, you know, orchestrating smart people. And that's not where you want to be either. So, so we actually have an incredibly strong team right now. And we are working you know, as, as quickly as we can on this problem and, and challenging ourselves. But I think growing that team right now would not be the, the right thing to do. Um, it would not get us faster to that goal. So I think the, the, for anyone who's listening and wants to help, I think the, the way we're looking at things is um, help us by being testers. Reach out to us. Um, give us like feedback on, on how you'd like to use this product. Give us your ideas on what could be meaningful to you such that we can get out to the market faster um, and help solve this problem faster than ever. So it is like a it is like a dashboard, and um, it it helps you automize. So if you, if maybe maybe um, to visualize like the ideal bias persona, it's it's someone who's running an agency of fifteen people, um, a digital so agency. I, I can give you the fast pitch. So so basically the yeah, the, the fast pitch is is that if you are um, a small service-oriented company. So for example, if you're a, you know, an NGO, if you're a consultancy company, or if you're a tech startup, for example, um, what you could use our tool for is, one, figure out what is your carbon footprint as a company. And to do this, we connect to various services that you already use. You know, could be your accounting system, could be your bank account, where there's all the transactions that are happening could be your, uh, your smart meter, your cloud provider to figure out when the servers are running and how much they emit. So we, you can connect those different integrations. Then you get a dashboard that showcases you, okay, these are all the flights that were taken to the company. These, those are all the servers that are getting used. We give you some um, you know, meaningful actions you can take based on this. So you can set a goal and you can say, this is how I will reach my goal the fastest. I want net zero by 2030, okay. This is the path you need to follow. You can compensate for those emissions uh, by saying, okay, I'll invest in, in you know, carbon sequestration in trees somewhere else. Um, and that is a good thing for the climate. And then at the end of it, what you want to do is you want to communicate to your, uh, to your stakeholders. You want to communicate to your employees, communicate to your owners, communicate to your customers about what you did and whether that is a blog post or you know, a widget or a dashboard or anything else. This is what this tool is going to help you do. Uh, so we're basically building an end-to-end -end solution that is not only looking at carbon accounting. We're basically saying, look, you're a company, you want to take climate action, you want to do something and you want to do it the right way and communicate about it, will be your go-to solution to do it. And it's just, there's a lot of complex moving parts here that we need to bet, get yeah. right. Yeah. Um, and therefore we're interested in talking to as many people as possible who either have struggled with it, who are thinking about getting through that journey, um, or who wants to, you know, co-create this together with us. Amazing. Olivia, thank you so much. Um, I really appreciate it. Thank you. And uh, yeah, hopefully we're gonna uh, hear a lot about you and your company and that you're gonna be creating the tomorrow that is, that is yeah, transformative to society and, and <laughs> uh, to our world that we face tomorrow. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Great. Thank you.